When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them. And of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we're talking about one of the new Upland Strap Vests with Matt Davis of Final Rise. Welcome back to the show for episode number 112. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt. 
creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Out in the field, how you're prepared determines how you'll perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance. So when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything. That is a Yukonuba dog. And by CZ USA Shotguns. Shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind. We are about to close the final voting on the CZUSA Project Upland Shotgun Design Survey. I've seen some preliminary results, and I really like what I see. I think CZUSA is going to be bringing a couple of very cool new shotguns to the Upland market next year. Stay tuned on that, and for now, head over to cz-usa.com to learn more about all their shotguns. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime. One-piece rotomole design frame steel door simple solid effective everything you and your dogs need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip head over to dakota283.com and use the promo code pu10 to save 10 percent on your next kennel purchase from dakota283 all right this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is pete from north dakota pete sent me a couple of emails including some guest suggestions some bird hunting chatter and some good feedback on the podcast. And for that, we appreciate it. Pete's got a t-shirt headed Pete's got a t-shirt headed his way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can do that by leaving us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, the good folks at Gundog Grind have partnered with Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society on their latest blend of coffee. You're going to want to check that out. A portion of the proceeds sold on the RGS blend are going to go right back to conservation. So thank you to the folks at Gundog Grind. For all you coffee drinkers out there, you can have your morning cup, and you can also give back to the birds. And for everybody listening to this, you still got a couple more days to head over to ruffed.org. That's R-U-F-F-E-D.org. And take advantage of the fall membership drive with Rough Grouse Society through the month of August. Just a couple more days. That's ruffed.org. All right, let's jump into it. Today, my guest is Matt Davis of Final Rise and Mountain Ops. But today, our conversation is mostly about Final Rise and the new Upland strap vest that Matt designed, hand stitches, each and every one of them, him and his wife, and are now sending out to hordes of eager upland bird hunters waiting for their new Final Rise strap vest system. When I interviewed Matt, I did not have the vest. Since our interview has taken place, I have one now. I've had a chance to check it out. It's everything it's cracked up to be based on our interview. I'm just about to start field testing it just in time for hunting season. Matt put a ton of thought, heart, and soul into this thing. He's making them by hand. And I think after you listen to our conversation today, you will understand how much he really did put into this vest. It is a dang good time to be an upland hunter. Aside from some of the traditional companies that have always catered to us for a long, long time, We've got a handful of new companies that are putting time, money, resources into thoughtful innovation in the upland hunting community, and I am so appreciative of it, and I'm always happy when we can share some of their stories on the Project Upland podcast. So with all that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast from Final Rise, Matt Davis.
we're good to go. Matthew Davis, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. Thanks for joining me, man. Appreciate it, Nick. Thank you, brother. Yeah, absolutely. How are you this evening? Oh, dude, we're just juggling a hundred things at once, you know. <laughs> Not nonstop. It's uh, coming up on coming up on bird season, so I'm sure you can imagine how how hectic things are are on this end. So, I got hunts coming up. I got vests to sew. It's it's a rodeo. <laughs> the listeners can't see this, but am I am I looking at Vinyl Rise headquarters? Yeah, dude. If I uh, <laughs> tilt the camera behind me here, they won't be able to see this. I'll show you regardless, though. There One of my machines go. is being repaired, but there's the old corner and couple miles of Cordura, a couple rolls. I got my paper towel thing there that I hold binding on. I'm real, I'm a redneck at heart. So got some redneck ingenuity <laughs> going on over there, but it works. <laughs> that's where, it, that's where it's all happening. I can see vests being made. That's good stuff, man. Where, where are you located actually? Let us know that. Uh, Northern Utah. I'm in a small town called Hooper, Hooper, Utah. It's over on, on the West side of, uh, well, the North, Northwest-ish side of the state near the great salt lake so just right gotcha. right here in the armpit of utah <laughs> <laughs> right on have are you born and raised in utah how long have you been there yeah born and raised in utah grew up in a uh a small town well it's not small anymore at the time it was uh the heber valley so anybody that's familiar with park city or salt lake state capital other side of the wasatch front a little bit south and uh anyways born and raised there didn't matter which which way you left town, you were driving by a lake, there were mountains, some of the best fishing in the western United States is right there. I mean, I grew up on Blue Ribbon Rivers, hunting, fishing, riding cows, chasing chickens, shooting raccoons, man, you name it. I, 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 I grew up right. That's awesome, man. I love it. Got an early start. You're lucky. Yeah, I, I feel fortunate, man. Don't get to do it much anymore. It's a little bit different now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're definitely going to talk plenty of final rise, but that's not your full-time gig yet. Are you still working for Mountain Offs? I sure am. Yep. Been there for coming on five years now. I'm a, a marketing director there. Man, started basically right after they did. Prior to that, I was working for Hoyt Archery. So anybody who's a bow hunter, um, Hoyt's a pretty prominent name in that space and worked in there, did international sales for two years. And then I was in marketing and PR for three years. And I actually got to know the owners and founders of Mountain Ops from that. They poached me out of there, went over to Mountain Ops, and it's just been just been a good time ever since. They're good men. It's a great business, great mission. It's uh, I, I told them the only way they're going to get rid of me, even though I'm doing Final Rise, is if they kick me out and I'm going to go kicking and screaming. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome man that's sounds like uh you found a found a good place there that's very cool and obviously it's transparent what you're doing with final rise which is really cool too yeah well, thank you man i appreciate that i feel super fortunate i get to do something i love i tell people i haven't worked in a long time so it's fun <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good tell me again before we move on a little bit to kind of your story and talking final rise tell me the the brief mountain mountain op story you know like i it's a it's a name that I am super familiar with. I think yeah. most most people, I guess, that maybe run in the circles that you and I do have probably seen of it, heard of it, and maybe that has a lot to do with your skills at marketing and, and getting the name out there in the last <laughs> couple of years. But it's it's a name that I recognize. So tell us about it a little bit. Yeah, so so Mountain Ops, we're a Utah-based company. Um, it's an outdoor nutrition-based company. And our mission as a company is to improve the lives of individuals and families. And a lot of times people hear that and they're like, oh, that's really weird. Like, 
you're a supplement company or you're a hunting company. And yes, we play in the in the hunting sandbox, right? Where we're kind of in that space because that's who we are as individuals, um, as, as people that work there. And But truthfully, we understand being those people. We understand some of those needs that we have. And um, I'm, I'm a huge believer, Nick, that every single one of us at some point in our lives realize the value of our health and the role that that plays in our life. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean you have to be a gym junkie. That doesn't mean you have to be any, anything crazy, but it's, it's valuing your health. And so that, that mission is supporting that. And, uh, we've been super blessed with, with, with great success and growing in that space. We've got a lot of really quality products. Um, a lot of products are applicable in the upland space as well for those. I know there's a handful of guys that do use it. I talk to a lot of bird hunters and especially here in Utah, there's a lot of guys that use it as well, but it's just, uh, it's a really good company with a great mission. We're growing like a weed and, uh, man, it's just the tip of the iceberg so far. That's really cool. That's awesome. Happy to hear that. Give us just a little sneak peek on some of those products. Let's say Matthew Davis is going upland hunting. How is, how is Mount for a day? How is mountain apps going to be woven into your day? Yeah, absolutely. So, so some of our bigger products, well, there's, there's, we have a lot of products, <laughs> a pretty diverse offering in line. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's two things that people really want in life and that's more energy during the day. And that's to be able to sleep at night. Now I'm not going to be sleeping when I'm chucker hunting. So I'll speak to the energy aspect of that. We all, we live in a fast paced world. Sure. It doesn't matter if you're having a day off. Most of us are, you know, we're working 24 seven in regards, but on the upland side. So my favorite product is a product that we call Ignite. Ignite is a cardio enhancement and focus type product. So the the cardio aspect of that comes from two ingredients that are called L-arginine and L-citrulline. And those are amino acids. And when those two are combined together, they create a reaction that's called nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is what's called a vasodilator. Vasos meaning blood vessels and, and, and veins. And as your blood vessels or your veins are expanding, your heart doesn't have to work as hard to promote that blood flow. So naturally, anytime you can increase blood flow, it's going to naturally create energy throughout the body. So it's a very clean and simple way to create that energy. And it results in basically no crash where there is a small amount of caffeine in it. Um, Caffeine does help expedite um, that being put into your system. Um, but the beautiful thing about that product is there's really, there's no crash. So it's one of those products that you can drink on the way to the hills. A lot of the places that we hunt out here West, you know, I mean up with my buddies at three thirty four in the morning, we're loading the dogs driving for two and a half, three hours to get where we're going to hunt. So it's something that I can drink along the way. Um, and it's essentially in a way, maybe a healthy alternative to stopping and grabbing a red bull or a monster or a rock star. Um, you're not just going to get jacked up on caffeine and then have a crash after that. So it's it's a prolonged energy release. So again, you're getting multiple hours of energy from that nitric oxide. You know, w- when you're tired, when your muscles are fatigued, it's because they're lacking oxygen, right? So having that vasodilation, having that nitric oxide flow into your body, it's going to provide the strength that you need. So for us that are we're out here chucker hunting, we're expecting to do... 10, 12, 14 miles in a day, and you're hunting where people are going to be hunting, you know, sheep. We're, I mean, we're seeing mountain goats and different things like that, you know, so you're in some really crazy terrain. 
So being able to have that energy, being able to keep up with the dogs is very important. So Ignite as a product, I would say for anybody that's listening and anybody that's wanting to try the product or give it a shot or whatever, I would I would always recommend just checking out Ignite. That's just kind of a one size fits all because we all need energy at the end of the day. We're all busy, dads, businessmen, hunters, dog trainers, you name it. Uh, there's not enough hours in the day. And when we are awake, damn, we're tired. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on, man. That's uh, very, very well described. I have a, I have a sense of how it works. I've taken some ignite, uh, it's tasty stuff. So, yeah. uh, so that's good, but I've, I've definitely taken some of it pre-workout and, uh, yeah, keep the blood flowing, steady release. Makes sense to me. Yep. It's a great product. Appreciate that, dude. Let's transition. And you mentioned you grew up right. You were exposed to the outdoors early, but tell me a little bit about that exposure. Where did it come from? Who were your mentors, if anybody? And how specifically did upland hunting start for you? Yeah, so, you know, all growing up, I was that rambunctious kid that was always getting in trouble, you know, throwing rocks through people's windshields. I mean, I'm pretty sure half the things I did as a kid, I'd be arrested for now. <laughs> but I was just, uh, I was a rambunctious kid, uh, grew up on, uh, on a great piece of property and it was do your chores and be back by dark. You know what I mean? So I, I, I grew up a, a super awesome lifestyle and I just naturally, as a kid, I was always drawn to animals. I was just always drawn to them. And I remember we used to go on um, little, we had a motor home. And so for like spring break, we would go to all the national parks, obviously being here in Utah, we've got Zion, we've got um, Canyon lands, we've got some really beautiful places. And so we would go with my dad and we would go check out these places and I would get those little Polaroid cameras and I'd save all my money and I would just buy cameras. I was constantly buying cameras and I would walk around, you know, you go to a campground and the deer are basically tame, right? So I'm like, trying to take pictures of deer with like corn in my hand, holding it out, trying to get a picture of this doe and her fawn. And I'm about to get my ass kicked, but <laughs> I was just, I just always loved birds or animals, excuse me. And that obviously translated to birds at a later time in my life, because at the age of 12, my parents got divorced, um, hadn't hunted prior to that. I was really big into fishing. We used to go fish all the time. Like I said, doesn't matter which direction you leave the Valley that I grew up in, you were driving by really good fishing. Um, so anyways, I had expressed the desire to hunt and in an effort to spend time with my brother and I, my dad started hunting again. My dad had grown up hunting. I grew up on a farm, so we used to go on trail rides and stuff like that. And we used to see grouse all over the place. And so I wanted to hunt. So my dad's like, okay, let's, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get hunting and stuff like that. And that was really truthfully, Nick, the only times that I saw my dad from the time I was 12 to 18 years old was during hunting season like that's all i did with my dad like i said i was that rambunctious kid that was just i just wanted to be with my friends and i had a lot of freedom maybe too much freedom but anyway so got into (laughs) got into bird hunting and and just absolutely loved it i was i was the kid following my dad and my brother even before i could hunt because at the time in the state of utah you couldn't hunt small game upland until the age of 14 now i think it's 10 it's kind of stupid, but yeah, you basically had to be 14 years old to be able to go hunt birds. And so I was just so stoked to follow my dad and my brother around. And we had a lab, Autumn, a golden lab at the time, I had multiple labs throughout my life anyways. And we would go out and, and shoot grouse. We go shoot rough grouse and blues. And at a younger age, you know, pr- prior to getting in and being able to drive myself around, 
on the weekends, if I got all my chores done, which were yeah. changing all the irrigation, you know, I'd wake up at 4.30 in the morning and run, you know, 20 different pipelines. I'd go down to the neighbors. I'd take care of that. That's how I made money was baling hay and selling hay. Um, and so once I got all my chores done, mowed lawns, all that fun stuff, my mom would drive me to the top of this. Um, there's, there's this big canyon between the valley I grew up in and a place called Strawberry Reservoir. So anybody who's come out and hunted Utah, elk hunting or anything like that or been to Heber, you probably know where I'm talking about. Anyways, that's where we used to trail ride. That's where I grew up basically hunting for the most part. And so my mom would drive me to the top of those mountains and I'd hop out with my dog. I had a, a, a what are they, a, a Sears and Roebuck. It was basically a Winchester 1300, right? But it was a Sears and Roebuck in a 20 gauge. And I had one of those funny, <laughs> like, uh, what's that choke on the end where you could like dial it and adjust the. Is that one of those? Is that one of those just break action? Break action single shot? No, it was. It's a pump. It's it's basically a Winchester thirteen hundred. Like it it is, it is the spitting image of one. It's like you can they're interchangeable parts. So it's a pump action gun, and but the Sears and Roebuck. I think my dad bought it at a pawn shop for like a hundred bucks gotcha. for me. That was my first gun. I still have it, but it had this funny little adjustable choke on the end that you could like twist it from like cylinder to improve cylinder to mod to pull it was anyway oh yeah 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 super yep. super funny little thing anyways i'd hop out have my lab in tow and she'd ask me which canyon i was going to walk down and then she would drive all the way back down around and then she could drive to the bottom and in the bottom of each one of those canyons there are about five or six of them there's you know a little dirt pull off and she would drive down there and she would sit there and she'd read a book and wait for me for a couple hours. And so I'd be stomping around the hills, just guns ablaze and shooting everything <laughs> with a heartbeat, you know, <laughs> and and just did a ton of grouse hunting that way. And then once I could start driving, obviously started hunting with my buddies and we started getting after it. Um, yep. You know, and then I, I got into I, I still big game hunt. I'm still a passionate big game hunter. I, I really, really enjoy that. And we'll talk about maybe how that factored into final rise here in a little bit. But for a couple of years, I, I really got the itch on just big game, wanted to kill a couple of big deer, wanted to kill some elk. And so I just went just head over heels into that. And so I stopped doing it for a while. And then maybe seven or eight years ago, started getting back into it. And, uh, well, yeah, the, the bug got me pretty good. And that's that's how I spend most of my time now. Still get after the deer and elk quite a bit, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, in a in a nutshell, that's the the short and sweet, I guess, of how I got into upland hunting and kind of what started fueling that fire and that lifestyle for me. Yeah, that's pretty wild. That's it's funny. I just recorded a podcast last week. It's I haven't put it out yet, but I got into the story, a similar story in that I was the same way before I had my driver's license. You know, same thing. I was the bug had bit me, and all I wanted to do was be in the woods. <clears throat> I didn't have a dog at the time, but. We would, a couple of my buddies and I would convince basically one of our parents to drop us off uh, at the end of this logging road and the other parent would pick us up a couple hours later. And it's, it's almost mind boggling to me that we, we convinced them to let us do that. And I just, <laughs> I think about like my son asking me to do the same thing. And I just, I have no idea what I would even say. <laughs> it's totally different, dude. I, it was that. And then you're skipping school to go deer hunt with your buddies. And oh yeah, oh, that was <laughs> Oh man. So funny. <laughs> what, 
Well, fast forwarding to today, if I look at the, which I have pulled up next to me, the, the homepage of, of finalrise.com, there's a, there's a good looking short hair on the front of that. Is that your dog right now? Yeah, it's one of, one of three. That's my old man. That's my tried and true reload. <laughs> you were exposed to dogs early. You know, you had the lab, you've got a short hair. Tell me about the other two. What led you down to the dogs that you you currently have yeah so i have two short hairs and then i i have a lab okay the lab was more of my my wife's dog even though she likes me more um <laughs> <laughs> so you think yeah so i well i, I think i got a little <laughs> bit of proof <laughs> all right all right <laughs> but uh you know i i so reload he'll be oh keep saying his name he gets all excited He'll be nine this year. So reload was actually given to me. Um, he was given to me by a close friend who had started a business. Hey, buddy. He'd started a business and uh, it, it really taken off for him. And we were spending some time together. And he's like, oh, I've got this great dog and I don't have anything to do with him. And I'd been I'd been on the fence about getting a dog again, you know. But finally, finally bit the bullet and picked him up. And he's just been... He's he's my tried and true. He's my my main squeeze for sure, and he's just been been a hell of a dog. And obviously, fell in love with with short hairs, and uh, recently yeah. just picked up uh, another one reload. Like I said, he'll be he'll be nine this year, so starting to slow down a little bit. He's uh, wintered well, looking a little chubby, but uh, got, got another pup in the pipeline that'll be he'll be two this year. So I've had him, he had his okay. first season last year, and uh, I'm just I like the short hairs. I like. I don't know why I kind of like dogs that are a little wild. <laughs> I like dogs that are a little <laughs> amped up. They're they're not as good in the house, but uh, I guess they're kind of just like perhaps me. a reflection of of you and your youth. Yes, and, and maybe still today. <laughs> I would yeah, still today, still today. I think they're they're a pretty good reflection, but they're just great dogs. Everyone's got that that I think that uh, that breed that speaks to them for the most part, and I, I enjoy the short hairs. So yeah. Well, ha- having bird dogs, I'm just a little bit curious as far as do you get super deep into real structured training, anything like that? Or are you the kind of guy that just kind of take your dogs hunting and put them out there on wild birds because you have those those resources at your fingertips? How does how do you do that? Yeah, a, a, a little bit of, of both. Um, re- reload sure. reload had prior had was, was trained prior to me picking him okay. up. So I, I got super lucky there. And, uh, chief who is my, my youngest pup, I actually had done some, some trade work with the gentleman for that I got him from. And so he went, he went down there for one basic session, but I'm a, I'm a big believer that birds make the bird dog. And, uh, sure. I, I feel fortunate that I'm able to hunt man, probably 60 plus days a year birds only. And then, you know, another 40, 50 doing, doing deer and stuff like that. So I get to, I get to go out a lot and I, I live in a place, I mean, we've got, pheasants walking through the backyard i've got some homing pigeons here and a couple launchers and you know definitely work nice. on steadiness stuff like that and being able to make sure that my dogs are working well with others if there's one thing i love about upland hunting it's going hunting with other people i like going out by myself but i've got some great friends yeah. and i enjoy that camaraderie and i don't want to make my dogs being the ones that are the <laughs> ripping birds yeah. and, and not not helping the, the hunt <laughs> be successful so that that's pretty pretty yeah. simple approach. I'm I don't get super super crazy in the training if I'm being honest. I just uh, feel fortunate to be able to get out a bunch and put them on a lot of wild birds. Yeah, well, sixty days. That's I mean that's a lot, especially when you compare that to 
maybe the average hunter. I mean, that's not a lot of people are getting out 60 days. That's, that's a good piece of work for the dogs. And obviously with the wild bird resources there, that's going to help them along the way. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they dogs, they like a bit of structure and they like to learn. They like to train the good ones do at least. So it's good to have a little mix there. Absolutely. So you mentioned chucker, pheasants, grouse. I mean, what, if you're going hunting, what are the odds that you're going to be chucker hunting real high or do you mix it up a fair bit? Yeah, it's usually, it's usually pretty high. Um, early season, you know, we'll go, you know, we've done some ptarmigan hunting. Um, we've got those here in in the Uintas uh, of Utah. We've got ptarmigan do, do a little bit of grouse now grouse. And, uh, you know, that, that starts September, September 1st for us. As I talked about, I still, I'm, I still do a lot of big game. I think I've got five or six big game hunts this year. I'm going on uh, a lot of deer, a lot of elk. And obviously September's prime time for elk here in the Western United States. So it's intermittent grouse mixed with, uh, mixed with some elk chasing. And then, uh, usually Idaho, I live, I live pretty close to Idaho, go up there during sharp tail season during the month of October and, uh, take advantage of some of the flatter stuff, get the dogs in a little bit better shape, hunt some of the, Man, people are probably going to upset me, but just not, they're not as difficult to, to get on. <laughs> they're a little more readily available. Yeah. And then uh, once things start cooling off and, and there's not as many snakes and different things like that, basically from middle of October until February 15th, I'm chucker hunting two days a week. So, man, that's a that's a lengthy, lengthy stretch. That's awesome. Yeah, we're we're super lucky. Chucker open the end of September and then, yeah through february 15th utah it, it's the longest season uh, hunting season in the state of utah and i think for birds in general in the western united states so super fortunate i know that in the last couple of years since i've gotten to know more chucker hunters than you know the travis warrens and the matt hardings of the world those are usually the guys that are unintentionally just putting the knife in my side and twisting when it's you know january february and i'm covered up in snow here and i know i could travel and get out there and hunt with the way and they always throw out invites to me and i've you know one of these years i got to do it but it's it's a ways out there but i got to get after it you need to man late season chucker hunting yeah (laughs) one of these one of these years garrett and i will put our stuff together and we'll get out there and see you yeah, I've bugged Garrett about it multiple times. I think for the past two years, I keep telling him, like, dude, just show up at my house. <laughs> I got kennels, beds. All you got to do is show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not bad. Well, all right, man. So seven, eight years ago, you kind of dove way deep back into upland hunting, got a, got a taste for it. When the heck did you start thinking about designing a vest and starting this business that would ultimately become Final Rise? Oh, you know, I... I an honest year and a half prior to launching, we, we launched in March, you know, I, I'm a gear junkie at heart. Um, having been able to work in, in the outdoor industry, usually you've got, you know, connections to most people. And so I'm able to get hookups on stuff and discounts. And so I just go buck wild and probably buy more gear than I should. <laughs> but I like, I like testing stuff and, uh, I, I yeah. tried and used every vest out there and there's some incredible, upland gear available and i think it's such an exciting time to be in the upland community because there's so much happening right now i think people are finally really starting to kind of bridge that gap but being in that big game space um you know there's 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 a lot of innovation constantly not only in the hunting gear but 
you know, in, in, in packs and equipments and materials and components. And there's all those different things happening. And I kind of nerd out on a lot of that stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of looked at the Upland market and like I said, there's, there's incredible stuff on, on the market, but there were thoughts and ideas that I had. And I thought, you know, I'd really like if my vest did this, or if it did that, or if it carried this way, or if it carried that way. And I kind of maybe mentioned a little bit earlier, but I feel like big game hunting played a really big role into this because I, I do a lot of backpack hunting. I'll probably live out of a backpack two weeks a year. And when you're living out of a backpack, you really learn and understand how a pack needs to feel, how a pack needs to carry, how you need to load a pack and where that weight needs to go, how that's just distributed throughout the pack, how that balances and, 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 and how that all works together as, as a true system. And as I, as I looked at that and, and dove deeper into that and then started kind of comparing that maybe to some of the stuff in the upland space. And I hope, and I'll, I'll just say, I hope nothing I say comes uh, across as just dis- disrespectful to any of the products on the market. I, I, I'm not speaking ill about anything. I'll just, I'll just say that now, but, um, yeah, there, there were things that I, that I wanted to see happen and understood how they could be applied in the upland space and how they could make some of those, those, those products better and how they could be more streamlined, how every asset on that vest or every part of that vest could be a contributing functional part of that system. And so, I started sketching stuff out about a year ago, played around with the idea. I talked to some of my hunting buddies and, you know, it was kind of like, well, it kind of seems like, you know, that, that, that space is on lockdown for the most part. There's some big names out there. There's some great products that are well known and they're kind of the tried and trues. And, you know, obviously I've got a, I've got a great career at mountain ops. You know, I don't, I (laughs) final rise truly is, is a passion project for me uh, at the moment. It's, it's definitely, definitely tempting me in in ways but um you know I, I i sewed up a couple of vests so on the sewing side so my parents growing up um owned an industrial sewing business and so the bottom half okay. of our house was industrial sewing machines so man from from the get-go from the time i could really do about anything i was i was sewing you know my mom taught the sewing for each classes and stuff so you're making pillowcases and scrunchies and stupid stuff like that but you i learned how to use a sewing machine and so as i did that growing up as i would get hunting gear i started tweaking it i would i would change how my pants fit or i would sew pockets on and here was my million dollar dollar idea that i that i missed out on i'll share this so <laughs> i remember when hot hands like first came out right when people first started using hot hands and i thought man it would be so cool if you made a pair of socks that you could put that in so i made my own hot hand socks and then obviously i don't even there's a million types (laughs) of hot hands and i remember seeing those those socks in a cabela's catalog and they were like a hundred bucks i'm like no, that was like my red box idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I missed the boat there. And, but anyway, so long story short, ended up sewing up a couple of vests, uh, for some buddies and I, and I mean, they were just kind of Frankenstein together and we started playing with them, started tinkering with it. And throughout this past season, you know, I'd, I'd send it to different people and I had a couple, there were a couple out there and, we kind of just played around with it and started refining it and, and adding the things we wanted and how we wanted that to feel. And, uh, you know, I, I really wasn't sure if I was going to kind of do it this year. And, 
everybody's aware there's there's lots of great products coming to market and I thought well if I'm going to roll the dice on this it's going to it'll it'll be right now so I I, I took my shot and, and threw it out there, and uh, it's 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 been awesome, man, to, to say the very least. It's very very humbling and super exciting for me, and uh, hopefully exciting for the people that have, uh, have have trusted us with their business so far. And I think it's kind of the tip of the iceberg, and the vests are one of many things that I hope to create with Final Rise. So that's really cool, man. I know from just as a person that is tuned in to the upland hunting space because I love it and I'm passionate about it, just like you are, Matt. It's it's really unique, and it, upland hunting has like kind of been like this timeless thing. And there's been some innovation. It's not like it, where everything is old, but there's a there's a respect for the traditional, some of the traditional pieces of gear and materials and stuff, and whether or not that has like slowed the progress of innovation in upland hunting, I don't know. But in the last year to two years, we have definitely seen an influx of innovation and some new products and some people that are putting, they're paying attention to upland hunting. It's not like this is made for some other market and then altered for upland hunting. This is people putting their blood, sweat, tear, and their resources into the upland hunting community. And I think, I think based on what I've heard from you and from others, and I'll have you talk about it a little bit, but I, I think it's being very well received by the upland hunting community. Has that been, has that been your experience so far? Yeah, so so far it, it's man, Nick. I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to that were like, "Finally, yeah, somebody did it. Finally." And and I think it was exactly, I, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I, I think a lot of it was out of out of the respect for what upland hunting is. It's it's such a, a unique hobby, sport, whatever you want to call, passion, whatever that is. Yeah. It's very unique in that regards, and I truly hope that it never becomes a big game hunting space because that's a freaking joke. But, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of overlap between that. There's a lot of guys that hunt big game and also hunt yeah. upland. And, and there's, there's, there's just a giant overlap, I think, between, you know, fly fishing, upland hunting and big game hunting. It's like, there's a lot of us that do all three of those. It just depends on the time of year because we're so passionate about being outside. So we're always looking for those opportunities. And so I think where those other spaces were growing and that innovation existed. Everyone's over here scratching their head thinking, why, why is nobody, why isn't that happening here in this space? And I think part of it was out of respect. Part of it was, is that market big enough? You know, as as somebody that, you know, practices business and, and that's, you know, but it's, you know, you wonder, it's like, man, is there an opportunity there? Is it worth my investment? Is it worth my time? Um, you know, there's, you look back at some of the bird vests that have come out over the past, probably five or six years, and some of them are only around for a year or two yeah. and then they go away. And I think people just realize it's like, holy cow, this is a ton of work. And I won't lie, Nick, it is a ton of work. (laughs) (laughs) It's no joke. I, I call it my second shift. Uh, I, I work four tens for mountain ops, so I'm off on Fridays, but I, I work, I wake up early. Sometimes I'll sew in the morning. I go to the gym. I come back, work for mountain ops throughout the day, get the things done that I need to do. And then as soon as I'm done with that, literally, I mean, you saw where I pointed my camera. I stand up from this desk that I'm sitting at right now, walk five feet, and I sit down at the sewing machine and I start sewing. And I'll do that till one in the morning, two in the morning. And when you're kind of, a, it, it's my wife and I, so it's the two of us, yeah. but you're juggling the marketing. I built our website. You know, you're running emails, you're running social media, 
you're trying to juggle all that. And, and there's a reason why big companies have marketing teams and agencies and all those different things, because it is a ton of work. So yeah. I'm just constantly trying to, to balance that stuff out. And I'm sure there's opportunities I'm missing, but, um, but the response has been enough to keep me extremely busy. And, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly happy to hear that again, just because I'm deep into this stuff. And I certainly hope that everybody that's putting their time and money and resources into this space is, is getting the appreciation that they deserve. Cause I do think a lot of people feel like it's like, it's about time, you know, finally that sort of sentiment. So yeah. it's, it's really cool to see some people putting that effort in and uh, obviously commend you for that. You know, the, the sewing thing is that's an interesting sneaky, like secret sauce of your business, right? Like that was, you had an idea, but that sewing thing, it really lowered a big barrier for you where you had, you felt confident in messing with gear and adjusting things. And I think that's just kind of one of those unique things where we have so much opportunity at our fingertips, especially now. And you have a, you had a skill set over here, but then you had the sewing skill set and those kind of intersected in upland hunting in the vest. And that's how it came to fruition. I think that's, that's really uh that's a unique story to how final rise got started well thank you man it, it's you know i think everything in life's a, a stepping stone and it all kind of leads to one another and i think you gotta be constantly you know being able to hit the pause button and looking at what you have and saying man does this does this all make sense does this complement one another what can i what can i do with this opportunity it's all about yeah. creating opportunity and then seizing opportunity and i think that's life in general but it was, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's been crazy how it all kind of came together and to be able to have the resources and know where to get the materials and already know and have a lot of those relationships already built just from other jobs and stuff. So it's, it's kind of been that perfect storm. Yeah, very cool. So we're going to talk about the vest. I do want to mention this, that you were on the Upchucker podcast, uh, I don't know, within the last, sometime this year, and you and Travis conducted travis conducted a great interview you dove super deep on the final rise vest we're gonna we're gonna attempt that but if there's any other questions that folks have or they feel like we don't cover things as deep as they wanted to go check out the episode with matthew davis on the Uptrucker podcast it was a deep dive on the final rise vest so with that said matt tell me what was the vision what was the early vision for what you wanted when you dreamed up this vest you know, I think the kind of the, the, the base foundation, there's been some great pioneers in the upland gear industry, uh, respectively, and I'll say their names because I think they're great companies, you know, uh, a, a Wingworks and a, a Q5, Aquilamine, you know, those guys, they're, they're, they're great companies. And I think a lot of those guys kind of paved the way. And the analogy that I've kind of created is, you know, those were kind of the Henry Fords of the automobile, but they're, they're the guys that kind of paved the way. Um, for strap vests. And so being yeah. able to take and look at some of those pieces and say, man, I really like this about this vest, but here's some of the things that I would change. And as I looked at, as I looked at some of those pieces, you know, a, a, a strap vest is a strap vest, right? Like a car, a car's always going to have four wheels, right? Whether it's a Dodge, a Ford, a Chevy, whatever, it's going to have four wheels. Pickup so truck is a, a pickup strap truck, vest yeah. foundationally. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you and you know, there, there's been there's been a little bit of flack there, and I and I understand that. Uh, I'm I'm not trying to steal anybody's thunder or anything like that, but it is what it is. But but our vest, my thought was, 
one, what, where did that innovation stop? Where, where did we stop utilizing better materials? Where did we stop utilizing better components? How can this ride and feel better? Why doesn't this ride and feel like my backpack? When I'm, when I'm carrying 150 pounds of elk, why is that more comfortable that when I have, than when I have five chuckers in the back of my vest? That didn't make sense to me. <laughs> why are my shoulders sore at the end of the day? Yeah. Why is my lower back hurting me after I've, I've just got done on a hike? And I think a lot of times people don't realize that that's a direct impact of your gear and how it sits on you, how it fits you. It's, it, it should be a part of your body essentially. And so right out the gate, I, I looked at, again, the materials, the components, and not only changing those materials, but I said it a little bit earlier, how do I make each part of that vest a asset? How do I, how do I turn the rear panel or that back panel of a, of a vest in from a piece of just fabric that's there to hold up the back of the bird bag? How do I turn that into a pocket? How do I turn that into something that can carry a jacket? How can I turn that into something that might carry a shed antler? I pick up a lot of, I mean, the only times I pick up mule deer horns or when I'm out chuck hunting, you know, so how, how can I make this vest really work for me and make it streamline as well and make it, make it something that's going to be able to excel in all upland applications? You know, obviously I'm a big chuck hunter, so you might come to the website you see a picture of my dog, you see some chucker and you're like, oh, this is a chucker hunting vest. Well, not necessarily. I believe that, uh, that anything that's able to perform in one aspect is, is very applicable in others. And so I wanted to make sure that the vest was again, streamlined, compact, but wasn't uh, jeopardizing the integrity, the quality of the product, the, the lifetime of the product. And uh, I, I didn't really want to paint myself into a corner specifically in the Western market. So yeah, that was, that was kind of the, the overall vision for that. And it was just a hundred miles an hour. How do you make it ride? How do you make it feel different? How do, what, what are the, what, what's happening? Yeah. What are these products missing that I can make up and, and make a difference in? So you talked earlier about, you know, stitching up some prototype vests and getting them into the hands of some friends using that. How long ago, or I guess, how long did it take you to arrive at the, a real close vest to what is actually now the final rise vest i mean did you have this thing last bird season were you using what is essentially the final rise vest today a very ugly version of it yes <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> all right Funct- functionally the same though <laughs> it was functionally the same i made the i made the ones were actually producing a lot prettier like i said i i, I felt <laughs> I, I had the resources i've got a sewing machine in my house so we'd go out and hunt and didn't like something come back unstitch it sew it back together how i want and go hunting the next day so the the trial and error process and building that and testing that was uh was pretty streamlined for me it wasn't i didn't have to send it to have somebody else build it for me or change ideas it wasn't this week after week waiting for that to come back and try it again and i was just able to do it in my own home and then load the dogs back up and go back out the door and so i would say probably the last two or three hunts of the season were where it was 90, 90% there. Um, I knew there were some things I needed to change. Couldn't do that with what I had already sewn. But conceptually, that foundation had been established, and I was confident that it's like, okay, once I put a little 
little bit of lipstick on it, make it actually look like it's something somebody would want to wear other than what I was using. I was extremely confident that it would be something that would uh, excel. So yeah, that's very cool. That again, the the sewing ability of able to go right back to the drawing board and then out the next day. That's that's a unique value proposition there for Final Rise. That's really cool. Um, tell me about <laughs> tell me about how the Final Rise vest does distribute the weight because I know you definitely pulled inspiration there. You mentioned talked about carrying 150 pounds of elk and weight distribution. How does the Final Rise vest distribute weight effectively and efficiently? So the, the biggest thing and, and, and the foundation of, of truly any, any, any pack essentially is the waist belt and having a waist belt that's not only going to fit properly, but that rides in the correct place and is able to contour and essentially tighten properly. And that might seem really silly, but, and you know what, I've, as I, as I talk about it, I realize I don't have a very good picture of our waist belt there. If you go to our Instagram page at final rise, you'll be able to see some pictures there. I, I need to bring those and put those on the website, but I found essentially my favorite backpacking waist belt and modified that to be able to accept shell pockets, accept water bottle holders, different accessories, et cetera, and, and put that into an upland vest, knowing that it would carry the weight well. And then another thing that we added in there as well, and I don't, I don't know of any other vest that has this, but it has an integrated lumbar pad. And a lumbar pad is an important part of a, a true weight-bearing waist belt simply because it creates a little bit of cushion between the lower back, basically the top of your butt crack where that, where that belt is riding. And as you tighten it down, instead of the belt getting tighter across your lower back, which is creating that lower back, pain at the end of the day, that extra tension that you don't want, it's allowing that weight to, or that tightness to travel to the sides of the hips and to ride, ride on your hip bones actually. And that's, that's where you want that weight to be distributed is on the side straight up and down. So waist belt is again, the foundation of that. So having a a really nice padded, comfortable waist belt that cinches down tight, it's not going to loosen up. That's, that's where that weight needs to be riding. Your, it, that's riding at the very core of your body. That is where all of your, your strength as a human being comes from, is at your very core. And so loading, loading that weight onto the strongest part of your body is going to help it carry more comfortably. So next, outside of that, obviously being able to um, is, is the balancing of the vest. And there was a very unique way that, that we were able to accomplish that, and that's through the shoulder straps now. At the back of at the back of the vest, from basically essentially the panel. So if you're looking at our website and you see a rear image, there's there's a picture of some bungee on there, and then you will see where it connects into connects into the shoulder harness. So I, I refer to that to as basically the yoke, and so you're able to set that. That is being able to set that vest to your torso length, and you're able to adjust that up and down. So it doesn't matter if you're five foot or six five. There's adjustment in that that's going to allow that to not create so much pressure on the top of your shoulders or the back of your shoulders basically you know you get you get done or tired at the end of the day and your shoulders hurt well that's because one the waist belt isn't doing its job and there's too much weight on the actual shoulder straps or the shoulder straps aren't in the right position so we will we always recommend that you set it to your torso length first and that's obviously going to allow that 
um, waist belt to sit where it needs to allow those shoulder straps to come up over your shoulders where they aren't adding additional pressure. There's actually a, a video that I did on our Instagram page where I went out to a present, uh, excuse me, a pheasant preserve, took my dad out there for his 60th birthday. And, uh, I took seven roosters, put them in that bag. Now it took, took some stuffing. I'm not, not going to just tell people you can stuff seven roosters in there. There's, there's room for normal bag limits. <laughs> but after I did that, I took the shoulder straps off as I had those birds in the bag and the vest didn't go anywhere. It's, it still sits on me. It just, it'll, it'll just float there yeah. on you. And that's, that, that's speaking volumes to the importance of that waist belt. Obviously those shoulder straps are there to offset some of that. I would say as far as a weight distribution, it should be 90% on your waist, 10% on your shoulders. So we'll set that to your torso length. And then if you look at a front image of the vest, there isn't really a good picture on here that shows that. If you go to the sizing guide page, I've got a, a pretty in-depth video that, that dives into what I'm about to talk to. So if you want a visual, go watch that. But I have a, adjustability on the where the shoulder straps attach into the waist belt. And that's going to allow to make sure that that sternum strap is going to sit in the proper place. If you go and look at, honestly, a, a lot of, I mean, you can hop on the Project Upland community page and click, click on a guy's profile picture and there's a sternum strap coming across half of their like necks. <laughs> it's super yeah, high yeah. up on their chest <laughs> and it's, it's really not in the right place. And not only is that riding incorrectly, but a lot of times those shoulder straps, you can see there's obviously hardware there. There's, there's some, uh, there's some sliders and, that's going to be where you're going to be, want to be mounting your gun. And so those, those shoulder straps are very streamlined, very, very simple, but they, but they leave those, uh, leave your shoulder pocket exposed for easy mount of gun. I think we all know if you miss the mount, you miss the bird. Yep. So there's that adjustability there. And then pretty straightforward and standard, there's those ladder locks there. And that's just how you're going to cinch that up against your body. So those two, um, in unison, Nick, the, obviously the waist belt itself, and then, being able to have that amount of adjustability in the shoulder straps, it's going to provide a, a true fit. It's, it's, it's not a one size fits all cookie cutter vest that, okay, we'll change your waist belt and here's what you get. It's, it's giving every single different body type options in different ways to make that fit. And another thing I, I guess I forgot to just mention, but because the short, the bottom end of the shoulder straps where they attach into the waist belt you can move those. You can move where that's actually located. So depending on if you're that's a cool. gal or a bigger guy or a bigger chest, because the waist belt, I use a Molly or Pals webbing. That's how all the attachments are, are connected to that. You're then able to move where that sits. And so, again, there's truly endless possibilities with how you can get that set up. And uh, that's what's going to create that comfort because comfort is a personal thing. So forcing someone into a vest and saying, Hey man, here, here, it is what it is. That's, that's not the right approach. And that's, you know, that's what I tried to uh, essentially overcome with this design. Yeah. Looks and sounds like you can get the fit dialed in, which is a good vest should, you know, I, I have what I consider to be a good vest and there's, there's quite a bit of that. So I certainly appreciate the thought that's been put into that. Talk a little bit about, I'm, I, you, you mentioned this on Travis's podcast and I thought it was interesting because the vest that I currently have, my waist belt buckle is a, it's a cam, it's a slider and it's a buckle cam and it slips mm -hmm. over. Whereas that's different on the final rise vest and you've got basically a dual adjustment. And I know this from just the nice backpacks and stuff that I have. Anytime you can basically grab 
two tails of a belt and cinch it down, you get a really nice balanced snug fit. So talk about securing the load and how the final rise waist belt accomplishes that. Yeah, so it's it's a dual adjust buckle on the side. But if you're looking at some of the pictures, I'm a really visual guy. So maybe if you're listening to this podcast, be looking at the website at the same time on one of the product pages. So it feeds back, but there's a two inch slider on either side and that webbing basically doubles back across itself and it provides those tag ends and you're able to pull across. You don't have to pull it back towards your your butt. You can actually pull that forward. And because both of those straps are there, it provides exactly what Nick was talking to is a very, very balanced and secure way to tighten that waist belt. I mean, you can you can cinch that up till you can't breathe, basically, and it's not going to give because yeah. the dual adjustment cam, the way it's folded back on each other, basically what it's doing, because you're layering all that webbing on top of each other, it's it's tightening on itself. It's constricting on itself, and that's what's going to allow that to hold extremely well. So it's kind of that set it, forget it mentality. I mean, from the time you tighten it to when you get back to the truck, it, it shouldn't budge. Yeah, that's really appealing to me because again, I with the with the cam buckle that I've got, what happens to me is I I run out of room. You know, I cinch it down until that buckle runs into my other pocket, and it's it's good enough. But if I could get it tighter, that would be better. So you know, that's just a, it's a limitation of what I currently have, and that's you know maybe something that people aren't thinking about. But I like that feature. I also really like i haven't seen this vest i haven't held to haven't put my hands on it but i really like the looks of the shoulder straps you touched on it that's one of my biggest gripes is when i see a vest come out with bulky shoulder straps and i it's like banging your head against the wall like do you realize what this that the purpose of this vest is for and it just it really amazes me sometimes the straps that you see Uh, to me to my eye the straps look like basically a flat piece of canvas is that what they are Yep. So it's, it's a dual layer. So the underside is a 600 denier. It's a grip type material. So it's, it's, it, it won't okay. be slipping okay. around on your shoulders. And then that, and then that's topped with a 500 denier Cordura, the green material is a 500 denier Cordura. And then we use the binding across there, but yes, it, it's very, it's essentially a handful of layers that are, are, are sewn together very flat. It allows that because it's not bulky because it doesn't have all that padding in there it's going to contour and shape to your body a lot better. It's going to come across the back of your shoulder straps, across your traps and down your chest a lot more flat where what you were saying, there's just a lot of of pretty, pretty crazy shoulder straps out there. And and when I see shoulder straps like that, that's offsetting a bad waist belt, you know, (laughs) bad shoulder straps are the result of a bad waist belt. Yeah. Because if you can't put that again, that, that 90, 10 weight distribution, right? If you can't, you know, Nick, you're talking about that cam buckle. There's, I've, I've heard this from a lot of guys that use the same vest that you do, but a lot of, a lot of chucker hunters, a lot of the, the Western guys, they're not super big dudes. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a 32 inch waist. I've had, yep. you know, your, and guys are saying, I can't get this tight enough. Like I, I can't even get it tight enough. And then yep. it's, it's sagging. And that's, that's, what's adding that weight to your shoulder straps. And that's, what's creating that discomfort. And obviously the, the best, the best cannot balance properly at that point. So you, yeah, you nailed it on the head there. Very simple approach there. Both. If you're looking at the picture there, so the horizontal webbing that runs across the front of it there, that is those art loops. Those are for being able to hand, uh, hang handhelds onto. I have three different accessories I'm working on right now 
um, that will actually you'll be able to place in certain places on that. I'm also working on my own line of uh, custom handheld um, holsters um, that'll be compatible nice. with the vest as well. So the the beauty of this this entire platform and I and I try to really think that through so I didn't limit myself or have to redesign something after it'd been out for a year or two. You know, I, I I've got I've got a lot of ideas, Nick. So it, it, it'll be fun, and I just wanted to make sure that you know vests that I sell in year one. If I come out with something in five years that's really cool, those same guys are going to be able to pick that up. So it's I just want people to get their money's worth and, and feel happy about their investment. Yeah, good deal. I love the customizability. Love the you know future proofing, if you will. That's added bonus of buying buying a system like this, which is cool. Talk to me about storage, and that'll be kind of gear, and then rope in water with that. Yeah. So the. The, the pack is obviously hydration compatible between, I, I call them the panels. So if you're looking at any of the pictures, the panel that sits flat against your back is a one-way stretch or two-way stretch, excuse me, a horizontal stretch um, mesh material. And then right between the top of those panels, and you can't see it in any of those pictures, is a clip. You're able to run up to a three-liter vertical hydration system. And then on the inside of the vest, right against your back, there's actually a sleeve that separates it from the main bag. That's to cradle either the vertical um, bladder or you're also able to run a lumbar style bladder. I know a lot of guys that like to run lumbars here in the West because they like to run their hose out on their waist belt to be able to water their dog instead of running it up over their shoulder, having to clip that out and get into that. So factor that in, obviously that sleeve that cradles those bladders is just also a nice place to be able to put extra gear that you don't want getting into uh, getting into your your, your messy birds, you know, extra pair of socks or gloves or snacks that you want quick access to. And th- so e- either side of the bird bag kind of moving on to, well, sorry, I didn't finish talking about water. <laughs> Obviously, if you're looking at the picture, there are two 32-ounce bottles that come with that. Yep. We move those very far back and where they sit on that vest is where, is where that hydration bladder sits. Um, water is a, it's a necessity, right? You're not going to go hunting without water. And it's also going to be one of the heaviest things that you're going to carry in your vest. And because of that, keeping that close to that core of your body, keeping that close to your hips and the small of your back, that's, that's extremely important. So um, taking advantage of that so that that vest is going to be able to ride as comfortably as possible. So there is a capacity you can carry up to over 160 ounces of water, which is a lot. Um, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a bowl guy. I know guys will squeeze water in their dog's mouth. I don't because I hate when my dogs <laughs> don't drink the water. You know, I've been hiking it around for 10 miles and I squirt yeah. in their mouth and it goes yep. all over the place. So usually I'll, <laughs> I'll put it in a bowl whatever they don't drink, I'll put that back into, uh, put that back into a, a, one of the bottles and that's, that's for the dogs and I'll run a bladder for myself. So a lot of water carrying capacity, either side of the bird bag. If you're looking at, um, a rear picture there. So on the sides of the bird bag itself, there are two zippered pockets that will fit two, uh, two standard water bottles side by side. So you can then put an additional four in there. You can carry, a shit ton of water in the vest if you really, really need to. Personally, myself, I'm great with yeah. the two liter bladder and the two water bottles. That's more than enough for a day in the Chucker Hills for me personally. Always running at least two dogs. That's that's been enough for me. So that kind of hits on water carrying capacity. Spoke a little bit to that just barely in, in talking to those uh, those pockets that are built into the side. There's a, a zipper that runs just on the inside of the bird bag. 
that's obviously a great spot to be able to put a first aid kit, uh, field lish gloves, wallet, keys, things like that, that you just kind of want out of the way, but you obviously don't need quick access to. And then the panel, if you're looking at a rear image of the bag where the bungee is on the right side of that, there's actually a zipper that runs top to bottom. And I've turned that panel into a storage compartment. And I did that specifically because I want where that's the biggest pocket on the vest. You're obviously able to put probably the heaviest thing you have other than water in that pocket and keeping that weight above your waistline is super important. And this kind of design and concept is combating what I like to call the saggy diaper syndrome, where everybody likes to put (laughs) everything in the back of their bag. But when you're putting that weight below your waistline and it's bang and it's flapping against your butt, then that's going to start essentially pulling that um, that weight back away from you. And that's what's going to create that tension on your shoulder strap. So, again, weight distribution in the vest, the way where I put those pockets and why I put them there, that was to try to make it honestly as foolproof as possible to make sure that people were going to have a good experience with the product. You know, it's very popular on some of the bags out there where I just have pals webbing across the back of the vest. There's really big pockets. And I'm that guy that if I have a pocket, by golly, I'm going to put something in it. Like <laughs> I might as well, I've got a pocket, oh, yeah. put something in it. <laughs> and because that pocket's so big, it speaks, it's it speaks to what I just said. That's where you're going to put the heaviest thing that you have, and that is the last place that you should be doing that. For any guys, you know, m- maybe you'll re- relate to this analogy. When you're backpack hunting, you put your sleeping bag and and the lightest things in the bottom of your bag. You're not going to put all your food in the very bottom of your bag. That's what's going to pull you down. That's what's creating that tension on those shoulder straps. So moving all that weight as close to your body and above the weight as po- as much as possible was the end goal. And, uh, there, there's a lot of room in there. There's <laughs> more than probably most think, but it's, it's, it's very streamlined as well. You look at it and you don't think you can carry a lot, but like I said, this is, this is what I tested for full day, multi-day hunts, uh, in the Chucker Hills. And it was more than enough for what I needed. And then we've obviously come out with, uh, different accessories and stuff like that for guys that are guides or guys that are on preserves and doing different things and need to be able to help take care of people. You're going to carry more stuff or whatever you have going on, just being able to have those options. And that's the beauty of the platform is that, this vest, as it sits and as you look at it, I feel truly encompasses probably 90% of the upland honey market. It will cover 90% of hunters' needs. And then, but it's a it's a platform that now you can build on. So for those guys that really want to create that custom tailored system specific to their needs, now you have a way to be able to go and do that. You can add the pockets where you want them. You can do just about anything with that. So that would cover really the rear storage of the bag. Shell pockets, obviously shell pockets are shell pockets. Um, yep. One thing I'm, I'm a big fan of is I actually like to carry uh, a full-size camera. I'm, I'm that guy that likes to have a nice camera with me to be able to take pictures and stuff. Um, I can fit a full-size camera. I carry a A7 III, and I use the Tamron, what is it, the 28 to 75 2.8, and that fits in that front shell pocket. And, I, and when I talk to guys, I also speaking to weight distribution, not to go off on a tangent, but 
a lot of a lot of guys don't really they don't need to carry four boxes of shells or they don't need to carry two boxes of shells. But utilizing that front pocket is extremely important in the weight distribution and the way that it rides. You got to think of it like a teeter totter, right? I talked a little bit about that saggy diaper, and that's what's happening when you're putting everything in the back of your bird bag. But if you have things that you can be putting in that off shell pocket that maybe you don't need to put shell pockets in or shells in there, you know, put whatever the heck you want in there, put your handheld in there, put, you know, there's, there's endless options there, but that helps again, balance that teeter totter. If you're thinking of it that way, it kind of helps bring that forward. And then, so that's important. And then on the front of those shell pockets, there's also an external zipper pocket. So that's big enough for a phone key, stuff like that. So any of the small stuff that you want to put, I always suggest putting that in those shell pockets up front. Those shell pockets will ride on the side of your hips out of the way. So they're not slapping, flapping, getting in the way as you're trying to hike up the hills. What is the access like to the shell pocket, specifically the one that we're def- we're going to for sure keep our shells in? Yeah. So I, I use a clamshell style approach. And what that means is that it's a, uh, a horizontal lip uh, zipper. So it's not a, a rainbow style. So it's not like an up and over the top. So it basically arches out away from your body. And because the way that shell pocket attaches, the tension points are on either end. And so that creates a really nice and easily accessible arc when that pocket's open. So there's, there's, I have a, there's a full zipper that runs that obviously. So that's for, I don't hardly ever close my shell pockets in the field, but that's for, if you're throwing your vest in your truck, you don't want your shells falling out. You don't want something else falling out. You can have that closed, but when it's open, there is a um, two inch piece of Velcro that is on the pocket itself. And then there's a one inch piece that is on a pull tab. And that allows you to basically just have that lid sitting shut that's going to keep debris out of the pockets. It's going to keep rain, whatever you got going on. So that's, you know, for a grouse guy that's going to be pushing the bush and you don't want stuff falling into your shell pockets, it's going to make, just give you a really easy access to where that pull tab comes up. And then the pocket, or excuse me, the, the lid uh, tucks down inside of itself. And then you've just got full, full access. And it's big enough that whether you've got a gloved hand or not, uh, it's easy enough to get into. And I got, I got some pretty big mitts. So, yeah. Excellent, man. I love the, I love the extra zipper pocket on the front of those shell pockets because I'm like you, I I keep my shells on the right side. And then on the left side, I usually have my cell phone and my, one of my handhelds and maybe a camera. Usually uh, I haven't been carrying the camera as much just because I haven't really had the right room for it, I guess. But I, I'm yeah. always pulling my, I'm always pulling my phone out because I'm always looking at whether it's Onyx or just my straight up satellite imagery. Like I've got, I've got cover maps done on there and I'm looking at that stuff all the time. And I just, I don't really like my phone jumbled in with everything else. So that extra zipper pocket on the front of that shell pocket would definitely get used in that case. So I love that. Awesome, man. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's for. <laughs> exactly what it's for. You nailed it. Are those shell pockets, like, is the material waterproof? I mean, like, you're talking about putting your camera in there. So is, is there a vapor barrier in there, or how does that work? So uh, Cordura, Milspec Cordura is is a very extremely water-resistant material. I actually, I have grommets in the bottom of the shell pockets, as well as actually in the back of the vest as well. Late season, your dog goes pick up a snowy bird, you throw it in the back, and all of a sudden you got a swimming pool back there, right? Cordura is yeah. extremely water resistant. That I mean, this same material is what I've been using on 
my hunting packs that I've used for the past four or five years. And if water gets inside of it, I mean, it, it's basically sealed on one side. So is it waterproof? No, but it is extremely water resistant, abrasive resistant. It's just, it's tough stuff. I mean, you can cut it with scissors and then try to rip it and you can't rip it. So it's, it's good stuff. Good deal. One other thing that I recall you talking about with Travis was basically the ability to really open up the game bag, get in there, clean it out. And also potentially if you had to carry a dog out of the field, uh, God forbid, tell me about that feature a little bit. Yeah. So that was one of the, one of the big things that I, again, turning, turning every part of this vest into an actual asset, something that you can use, not you don't have to go buy an accessory to add it on there or carry a dog carrying harness or anything like that. And fortunately, I've never been in that situation where I've had to do that, but I know people that have. And so those top two panels, if you're looking at a rear image of the bag, there is a one inch slider on one side and then the there is webbing on the other. And that's what's attaching that to the shoulder straps. We're actually, so we're feeding that through a slider and then looping, doubling that back on itself, feeding that back down through to connect that. But the beauty of that is, is that even with that open, you're able to be able to carry something in that, or you're able to just simply open it up all the way. If you want to flip your bird bag inside out, you can do that. Most of my hunting packs, I take them to the car wash and I just, just spray them out, basically get blood and stuff out of them. You can totally do that with this, but I think the biggest asset to kind of what you were speaking to was the ability to carry a dog. You know, that's going to be able to sit perfectly around that dog. You're able to then close it around the top of the dog's back. Obviously, if you've got an 85 pound lab, you're out of luck. I'm sorry, but for some of us guys yeah. who are running some of the smaller <laughs> dogs in that 16 under range, yeah, you're going to be able to carry a dog in there and that's going to be able to allow you to have your hands free if you need to carry that dog out of there. You don't have to leave your shotgun on the mountain if you're out with a buddy. So it's just uh, just an additional feature I kind of just thought through and I thought it was it, it would be nice to be able to open that up. Most of the time, that's just stitched together. They're just stitching that mesh and that rear panel together and it is what it is. And that's a very efficient and simple way to manufacture the vest. You know, I, I, I can look at something that's sewn and I can tell you why they did it that way. And nine times out of 10, it's to save time <laughs> because it's a pain in the ass to, to make something as intricate as this. But it's it's just an, it's just another feature that we kind of built into that. And I haven't, haven't harped on it uh, a ton or spoken to it a ton, but it's something that's available to those uh, knowing that you've got the comfort of being able to carry that dog out if you need to and not having to go buy a, buy a harness to do so. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I've really, I, I imagine folks listening would as well, but I just, I really appreciate how calculated and thoughtful these features were and trying to really trying to design the best vest you could. And it's, again, it speaks to that people putting their time, effort, money, resources into Upland innovation and bringing stuff to the community. It's just, uh, it's, it's really cool to see. Did we miss anything, Matt? Oh, I'm sure I missed something. <laughs> <laughs> well where can people go to find out more um you can obviously visit us online at finalrise.com man you can give me a call on my cell 801-358-5199 i tell people all the time i'm a i'm an open book i'm just a normal human being and i'm i'm available anytime to be able to help answer questions and i've i've been appreciative of the people that have called and texted me i mean it's 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 daily we're getting calls from people that have questions and, and want those answered. And I, I believe that customer service is a, is a big part of a business. And I want people to be confident 
in uh, spending their hard-earned money with us. You know, I, 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 my hope is to deliver really a, a premium experience from not only purchasing a product through us, but but getting re- and receiving a quality product and knowing that there's a good warranty behind that and uh, and people that care about what you're doing behind that attitude. This is this is my passion as much as it is anybody else. And, you know, my integrity means the world to me. And I, I try to be honest in all my dealings. And so ho- hopefully there's there's some confidence in that. And people know that uh, that I'm an open book and happy to help however I can. Good deal. Well, perhaps my most important question of the night would be, if I go to finalrise.com and order a vest, can I still get it before hunting season? Can your fingers keep up, Matt? Oh, well, right right now we're about six weeks out, so it depends on when your hunting season starts. Wow. Um, but we're <laughs> dang. It's it's we we've been super super blessed. I, I, I can't tell you if I mean I, I had a number in my head. I'm like, man, if I can sell this many vests, this would be awesome. And we've 10x that. So I uh, feel wow. feel super grateful that that's taken off. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people reaching out now asking that same question, Nick. And I'm just transparent. You know, we're build we're building each one of these to order as a small startup business. This is all self-funded. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be as smart and savvy about that as I can. And, uh, you know, there's there's going to be some people that are disappointed by that. But for those that are willing to to wait and get one, I, I think it's worth it. Absolutely. So man, maybe if you need it halfway through the season or whatever, hopefully we'll we'll be able to take care of you. But we're sewing as fast as we can. I promise you that. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Uh, congrats on the early success of the business. And again, I think that. That's proof that speaks to the sentiment that this is a very welcomed addition to uh, to the Upland gear community. And uh, I hope that really continues for you in the future because I think what you've done is is amazing. And uh, I certainly appreciate it, man. So keep up the great work. Thank you for joining us on the Project Upland podcast. This has been fun. I, uh, I hope to keep in touch with you and follow along on some of your adventures, man. Wish you the best of luck, Matt. Appreciate it, Nick. Thanks, brother. All right. Talk to you later. All right, that does it for this episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. A quick reminder that the podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast for your chance to win the Project Upland Podcast giveaway. And head over to projectupland.com for more of the Upland birds, dogs, guns, and gear that you love. Until we see you back here for the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. 
Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundoggy Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.